Hello and welcome to Court Games, a podcast for the Legend of the Five Rings community, funded by the Legend of the Five Rings Discord Patreon. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game, stories, and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. And I'm Kakita Kaori, and today we have a special guest whose name is uh, Melissa Marsh, also known on Discord as Utako Yamada. Yamada. Welcome. Yes. Hello, and welcome to both. It's um, so good to talk to you after being talking online for so long. <laughs> well, we're really glad to have you, and we've brought Melissa on today because we are talking about Unicorn, and we are talking in particular about the Ujik culture. So the Unicorn novel did come out on the 11th of April, and I have finally managed to read it, so there's lots of good stuff there. In the novel, it's a... 110-page story, and it's got a 16-page color insert. The insert is about the history of the unicorn clan, so no extra schools or techniques. It's all about the history of the unicorn as they go traipsing around the world. It has two alternate art cards. It's by Daniel Lovett-Clark, and we've talked about it before, but it does follow Shinjo Shono as he goes down the sand road to reach the city of Azawira, but it's mostly set in the city of Azawira. So you will find Moto Chagatai there, who we saw sent after Shono in Rules from Horseback. Uh, we also have Utako Yumino, who we saw reported to Altan Sanai in the story Family Duty. Indeed. And there is Ayuchi Shion and Ide Ryoma, who I don't know, is, is, is Ide Ryoma a card in the LCG? No, I don't think he is. There's only one um, named Ide, and that's Tadaji, and um, I don't think many people use him. Okay, we might see him. Yet he is a prominent character. So we learn more about Alzuera. It is a very much uh, a multiracial and multi-religious society ruled by the Caliph Harun al-Hakim, and the Caliph is a religious as well as political ruler. I'm not giving any spoilers for the story, really, but in the story there are social equivalents of societies like the Arabs, which. Yeah, this has always been uh, Shasarazad, Arabian Nights, Burning Sands. There's a empire kingdom that's equivalent to the Ottomans. And there are hints, as in people wander by, of an ivory kingdom, kind of Indian uh, empire with the nose ring. Melissa, I have a character in one of my stories that has a, has a nose ring and ring-to-ear chain from the Ivory Kingdom, uh, Ethiopian society, and a European or Western culture. And from the period on the clothing, it is an Elizabethan culture. So think high-ruffed collars, that sort of thing. That's, that's kind of interesting because in Old 5R, that's kind of the impression that we got the Merinay and Thrain people we're at about that level, about that time period-ish, mm -hmm. give or take. Yeah, it wasn't really um, explored very well, except in terms of the white stag, I think. The only impression I ever got was it was a long way away. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and the, the issue with that was that the white stag was 800 years ago, and everyone's kind of wondering, well, if they're Elizabethan-ish, sort of, 1500s back then, what are they like now? But it would be very interesting if they're, in fact, 
that yeah that we are we are now in a kind of pseudo Elizabethan pseudo wherever that's a, that's that's an interesting thing but obviously that's only just a hint that's this is kind of like the scene where they kind of they they go out and they get all the kind of extras they can <laughs> uh, in different shapes and sizes and colors and say look put this on and water past camera right uh, and so yeah we, we'll find out more later I I hope yeah and religion was quite an interesting theme that went through it that there are strongly religious societies uh, out there. And I enjoyed the story very much. Uh, It was rushed at the end. It is a short story. The beginning part seemed rather drawn out. I would have loved to see illustrations for this book, which doesn't happen very often, but just the pictures of all these folks in all their different costumes and so on. It it would have been really nice to see that in more detail um, and have an artist draw that to bring that into my players if I was ever going to do another story set set in the city of Alzuera. I, I have to say, one of the things I really, really uh-huh. want, you know, with Star Wars, you get the Art of Star Wars books, which are just, here are all the concept drawings, here are all of the, the drawings of all the characters you see for two seconds mm-hmm. as they walk past the screen. Someone had to design that character and design that clothes. I want that. I want that for L5R. <laughs> that would be really nice, but especially for all these gaijin cultures. Uh, I, th- I I thought, it's like, gosh, I wish mm. I could have seen this as a picture. The ending that has the RPG supplement does duplicate information from the clan pack that we saw in terms of the history. There wasn't a huge amount new, a little bit more in depth, but it does strongly point towards the need I don't know if they'll fulfill it, for a unicorn slash Gaijin cultures RPG supplement, sort of like the Crab Shadowlands or the Crane Court books coming up. There's mm. they, they made a lot there. It seems like it would be silly to completely waste it by never having it there. Um, I have run, like I said, uh, RPG games set with L5R Rokugani characters in Mehda Asalam, since this was old old 5R lore, and it can be good fun as a different setting and a different different world for your characters to interact with for a bit. I don't think in old 5R it was expended beyond um, the Burning Sands books, which um, did quite a bit, but I think that was in like third edition. I know in fourth edition, what you knew about Gaijin cultures was basically a little chapter right at the end of Emerald Empire, and all they got, um, got a page, and that was it. If you wanted more, including the big map where everything was, you needed to get the Burning Sands book, That's which true. was a completely different game. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I made it all up for my, for my campaign. There was so little there that it was very easy to make it all up. It's a time-honored RPG te- uh, tradition. Just just make stuff up. Now, with this book, though, this co- this is all complex enough that I would be kind of nervous about making it all up and just grabbing every you know Arabian Nights trope and throwing it into a story, which is what I did. I think it's what the writers do, too. It's a complex society. Anyway, I encourage everyone to go out and read it. It's fun. But we have no other new fiction this week, so we can talk about the Ujikai and the Moto and running campaigns in that world with our guest, Melissa Marsh. So, uh, what? first of all, can you tell everybody who you are and how you got into studying Mongolians and the Moto and Unicorn, Melissa? 
Well, um, I was um, playing Unicorn in Winter Court 5. Not my first choice, but I just decided to do a little bit of research. I started watching the Netflix series Marco Polo, and it's I recommend it if as a minimum if you're going to be um, going into that era because it's wall-to-wall unicorn. It's like a even like a war between the unicorn and like the crane, the scorpion, about all the things, yurts and horses and raids and um, lots and lots of uh, fermented mare's milk, really, and the Khan. <laughs> and then when we were doing, uh, Kaori and I were doing the fiction after Winter Court 5, which I think is, um, I think it's getting on to four years since we did that. <laughs> uh, I decided to do this whole big thing about unicorn lands um, with the Moto and the unicorn returning for a big celebration. And I just made a list of all the things and did some research into stuff and I didn't get to do them all. Really, that's um, which is good because I didn't want to fit them all in. But I looked at a, a bunch of things like from the TV series and from like the Mongolian culture. Really, um, I, I, Unicorn was my uh, second home. Lion was my first. But the thing I like about the unicorn is they are unabashedly afraid to be themselves. Really, <laughs> they are. This is who we are. The, we're worshiping the traditions of our ancestors, and if you like us and want to party with us, then you're welcome. But if you don't like us, then, you know, we don't really care, really. And I'm very glad to see that with Chagatai and uh, with his sister, you do see that aspect of the unicorn that um, they're proud to be different. That sounds really cool. Um, I mean, I know a little bit about sort of the mo- uh not so much the unicorn, but the, the Mongol stuff. I've read a few, like, fictions based off them. Uh, like heavily fictionalized versions of the uh, Mongol invasions of Japan. Yeah, but there's an anime about that, actually. Yeah, and a tiger drama. I haven't seen the anime, but there's like a 50-episode tiger drama, which I've seen. What's it called? Um, Angle Moi, I think. It's a French title for some reason, <laughs> but it's um, set in the Tokugawa era, so it's quite political as well. Tokugawa, okay, that's interesting, because the... Original invasions were in the Kamakura period, which is actually very different from the the, the more um, the Sengoku Jidai and Edo period, which we're used to in our samurai dramas. Yeah, this was definitely during the shogunate because you had the shogun's men going around and telling people what to do. Ah. <laughs> now, there's actually uh, a new computer game out as well, which is set in that invasion, actually. Wait, is that the one that's coming out with the, the flute player? Shadows of a Tsushima? I think, yes. I look forward to that one. Yes, yes, I'm very much looking forward to that. Yes, it looks very good. It looks really pretty, although apparently the maple leaves are wrong. Who's um, <laughs> counting? That's, that's a big complaint I heard. The maple leaves were wrong. <laughs> the wrong size. <laughs> so that was hilarious. Were they Canadian? <laughs> yeah, they're using, I think I think that is literally it. Um, I've also read a fictionalized version of um, Genghis Khan's biography, which is awesome fun. There's like a multiple volume thing starting right from his very beginnings and all the way through. It's a fascinating culture. It really is. I said we have some wonderful, like actual firsthand accounts of things like sitting down and eating dinner with Genghis Khan from Western explorers who were visiting him at the time. So, you know, reading the first person uh, stories are very hilarious. And you can go and look those up because he throws quite a party and it usually involves casualties. (laughs) 
the Ushik lore that we have, what we know about the Ushik, and this is the Motos. So originally, the uh, Motos were horseback riding nomads in the burning sands just outside of Rokugan. I hate to think there was uh, the northern steppes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the burning sands seems to be what Rokugan calls west of Rokugan. It's yeah. all the burning sands. All yeah. of it. Even the coal bits. But uh, the Ushik were raiders who attacked Shinjo and her people soon after they entered those lands. And she was really suffering. Their people were really suffering and really getting beat, beat on by these uh, Ushik raiders until she was able to capture the, some of their horses and start using their own tactics to defeat them in the treacherous desert. And the Ujik became impressed with these warriors and began to trade with them instead of raiding them. And eventually they joined with the Kirin, or Shinjo's tribe, to start pressing, using them and working with them to press against their own traditional enemies on the edges of their territory, the Neheri and other other kingdoms at that early point in empire history. Uh, and so became incorporated into the Moto family. But they definitely have their own... Uh, unique culture within a culture inside the unicorn clan. Uh, the unicorn have adopted many of their tactics, but haven't really adopted their full culture. So the Moto have their own culture. I think it's bled out a little, and you can um, really see the um, Moto influences with the unicorn this time. Uh, the particular one is the names. Mm -hmm. Alton Sarnai is a Mongolian name. It means golden rose. Yep. And there's another one. They talk about Shinjo Temujin. Is it Shinjo Temujin? Mm -hmm. Yes, Temujin being... The name of Genghis Khan. <laughs> yes, because Genghis Khan, oh, Genghis Khan is a title, if I remember Yeah, right. Genghis, yes. Uh, no, Khan is the title... Uh, and he renamed himself Genghis. And right. it goes further. There was a Shinjo Kulan, I believe, as well. And Kulan was Genghis' second wife. And these are Shinjo, not Moto. Right. So, yeah. so the names have leaked. Yeah, yeah. And and, and there's a Chagatai Khan from history. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to him. With the, in the, in, yeah, there's um, Chagatai was um, one of Genghis' sons. And so was Ogade. So they have adopted the Khan as a title in the unicorn. So if unicorn are talking to someone outside the clan, they would talk about the Moto Daimyo or the Ide Daimyo. But inside the clan, the Daimyo is a Khan. And there's the Khan of Khans. And the Khan of Khan is, is the champion. And their commanders are Noyan. So they use that. Uh, in the Mongol Empire, Noyan was a military commander between 1,000 and 10,000 soldiers. So that gives you an idea. Who knows in Rokugan? We're not sure. But Noyan is a commander of a good-sized unit. And we do learn about the structure of the unicorn armies quite a bit in the Unicorn Clan novel. So those colors mean something when you talk about the Scarlet Banners and the White Guard. They are from the unicorn's armies. The unicorn have five armies had five armies. That's actually very interesting because in old 5R, the um, unicorn armies were quite similar to like the lion. They had three armies. <laughs> there was one that went outside Rokugan, the Col. Um, there was the support army mm -hmm. and there was one that was kind of Shugenja and they were just basically lion on horses. <laughs> yeah, it's not split up that way. Well, the, yeah. No. It, you had um, things like the white guard 
but they were units within the coal and the Omoto. And in the coal, you had like the Otaku, as well as things like the Ayuchi Travelers, though I think they were more the support. And uh, Travelers are something I'd really like to see later in Unicorn, particularly in the card game, because that is how in old 5R Moto Chagatai was able to teleport his entire army to Toshi Rambo. <laughs> I don't know if they can do that. They they certainly do a lot of walking and not much teleporting in um, the Unicorn Clan novel. That was a big, big, big thing that they did, which actually killed. It was a lot of there's a certain amount of life casting going on. So I think I don't I don't think everyone survived it. It was a life casting, but it was also a secret held by the Ayuchi that they didn't tell Chagatai about until oh yeah we can do this and he goes yeah yeah, yeah but you should have told me earlier. <laughs> Really? We could have done something with this? Oh, yeah, we, 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 we could totally always do that. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I think it's just maybe something that they just kind of made up and said, oh, yeah, we need to surprise the line. What do we do? Yeah, we teleport that way. <laughs> well, yeah, and you need an edge. Um, the unicorn do hold the whole sand road. Um, they don't have these five armies anymore. They have three. Um, some of them were lost. But they do a lot of bluffing uh, in the in the burning sands, so everybody seems quite uh, scared of them. One thing I'm just wondering about is the is there an equivalent maybe to the sand road in L5R and the Silk Road was a thing that was quite a big part of uh, Genghis Khan and his. I, I, I really suspect that really. the sand road is the Silk Road. It's just that from the Rokigani perspective. Because I, I kind of feel that the, the I don't know if the the Chinese thought of the Silk Road as a Silk Road because they had the Silk already. <laughs> yeah, but what they didn't have were horses. That that was what the Silk Road was. They started with um, because the uh, I actually read this the, the soil in China they didn't have uh, selenium, so the horses couldn't get very big, and therefore they couldn't support Chinese soldiers. But in northern China they um, started to trade for the horses there because they could. These weren't the Mongolian hordes. These were quite early ones, really. And that is how the trade was started because the, they would trade the horses for silk and rice. And then, of course, they bred the horses and used them to invade other places. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I suspect from the Rocky Gun, or at least the uh, unicorn perspective, yeah, it's the Silk Road. This is they call it the Sand Road because that's, that's, as far as they're concerned, that's how it starts. And they're not particularly bothered by what happens after the lands they're aware of. If, if it goes as far as those weird pale people with the, the silly collars around their necks, fine. But that's not the bit they care about. So they call it the sand road, because as far as they're concerned, it starts with sand. I think also there's a bit of it because there was a bit of trade between, say, China and the Mediterranean, and you don't necessarily see that in L5R because, uh, say, we had um, in China, you had silk making its way all the way to ancient Rome, and in L5R, well, the crane aren't very interested, the scorpion aren't very interested in what the unicorn can trade on the sand road. The sand road is almost like the unicorn's back door, really. It's, it's, it seems like it's almost a big secret that the unicorn are keeping there's that people know that they're wealthy and powerful but uh you're not really supposed to be you know it's not all all totally out, open to the world but do they care <laughs> so i i think that the i so so i think what we should do is, is turn to how should we turn this into game hooks for our rpgs or 
how could you turn this into your unicorn character in an RPG? That sounds great. So in my games, we've done it in different ways. We've had times where we've had to go out to unicorn lands. Uh, at some, at one point, somebody opened a black scroll uh, in unicorn lands, and oh, was a good idea. Well, that was it was a bad guy. <laughs> And we had to go send my people out to go investigate this iron citadel that pops up in the middle of the plains in Unicorn Lands, and and you know make sure that the taint there is contained and all of all of that good stuff. So that's one thing that can happen. You can send them out there. Um, you can have a messenger from the Unicorn Lands seeking help with a specific problem like an iron citadel has shown up in the middle of the plains we think we should tell somebody so they do they send it to Otisanuchi or wherever they think they should report it to and then your magistrates get quickly dispatched to go investigate the citadel and whatever adventures you want to include there but of course the unicorn are going to be gracious hosts to these visiting magistrates who have suddenly had to go to the middle of nowhere in moto lands absolutely they will shake their hands most warmly as is very polite and offer them nice fermented mansburg yes a great feast of roasted meats and fermented mare's milk inside a gigantic chomang or or the large yurts which hosts everybody and their horses and animals because it's cold outside. So, you know, everybody stays in the yurt. And and this can be a fun experience, even as a small incident within a bigger campaign. I mean, they can finish their interaction and go home going, oh my gosh, what? <laughs> yeah, I do like the culture shock aspects of the unicorn. If you have some players who aren't, it's a good thing to have a lot of fun with. Like the unicorn will be really nice and be your friends. But you're in our lands. We do things our way. Particularly if you're with a moto, they're just going to do whatever they like. And that's why the E-Day exists. The E-Day are there to tell the moto, no, we're not doing that here. We're in public. <laughs> Don't talk around the normals. Yeah, yeah. I think the E-Day would kind of do the opposite when you've actually got people visiting moto lands. They'd be kind of going, okay, here's how we do things here to the Rokugani people. And letting them know, mm-hmm. this is what you do. This is what you do to be polite. Uh, if you really don't want to have the roast animal, and I, you know, I do get that that's a thing, here's how you say no politely. And I think that could be good fun. Yes. Well, so at Winter Court 5, we had a few unicorn parties. And we had the meat set up because, you know, this is our land. And we were dragon land, so we could go and get a nice goat to roast. And we had a shoji screen right in front of the grill. <laughs> You're supposed to ignore everything behind a shoji screen. I'm guessing that includes any smells. Yeah, just ignore that, and, and just hope the uh, nothing nothing kind of sparks from the fire and sets the screen on on a light because then you might see what's going on behind it, and that would be terrible. Yes, it would. <laughs> now you can take your campaigns and get them even beyond Moto Lands. There's a lot of reasons you could temporarily end up in Moto Lands or having a have a large contingent of Moto pop up in your own lands for some reason, an invitation or so, or some particular mission or something else and when you what you the main thing you need for having that culture shock experience is a sufficiently large group of moto however you can take your pcs even non-unicorn pcs to the burning sands to have an adventure in alzawira or anywhere else 
Now, when I ran this campaign, I had a party that was two crane, a dragon, and a crab, and two unicorn. The way that I got them there is that I decided that the caliph had been traded a picture because the unicorn are are trading goods from all of Rokugan. So he had been traded a picture by a crane artisan of a crane woman who was the artisan's sister. And he decided, because he was a bad person, that he needed such a delectable piece of... Lady. <laughs> lady for himself. <laughs> and therefore created a ruse by which he invited the artisan to come um, paint for him and bring his model. So they end up in the burning sands and get captured and they have to escape and then they have an adventure all through Salam at the time and then they like flee and eventually manage to get home. In my campaign case, overthrowing the Caliph. Well, while you're there, because... I mean, you know, why wouldn't you? <laughs> Right. So yeah. there are excuses. So that's one excuse. You can have an indulgent caliph. There is an indulgent caliph uh, in this particular story. Want something. Yeah, because the other way around is when you are playing a unicorn, even even especially if you're playing a moto and interacting, you like you're, you're in an Emerald Magistrate's campaign or something, like the, the standard setup, and you're spending your time amongst the Rokugani and you're not necessarily familiar with them, how much do you play up your culture versus adapting to their culture? And I think that that can be a lot of interesting tension and something fun to roleplay with. Some characters are going to be, I'm going to try and fit in as best I can, even though I'm not quite sure what I'm doing. And other people can be totally, no, I am Moto. This is what I am. I'm a Klingon. I mean, a unicorn and just be like that which i think can also be a lot of fun i think both of those can be a lot of fun ways to play so kind of getting into like reading reading as much as you can about the unicorn and mongol cultures and then okay how would that guy or that indeed that lady how would that person see the rokugani way of doing things would they see it as bad and wrong or would they say it as ooh that's interesting. Let, let, you know, maybe they could actually start getting into various bits of rock and culture while at the same time expressing their own. I think that could be a lot of interesting stuff. So, Melissa, what do you think is the most fun way to interact with your party and to integrate some of this moto things into your campaign? One thing I think you can start with is horses. If you just start to know uh, very little about them. One of the things of the games that I've been in, the one with the tsunami, I think we're in Kaori, was we kind of unicorn naturally assume that people who are not unicorn do not know how to look after horses. This is a thing that is beyond etiquette because if you don't assume this, then your horse gets sick, injured, or die, really. So it's basically to avoid something. I've always assumed that a unicorn, particularly not just motor, but any unicorn, you're staying there, you're making sure yourself even that your horse is actually cared for, has the right kind of diet, is exercised. I also say that one of the gifts that a unicorn can give to a person of the clan is probably a horse. Not a Utaku steed, but a, like a motor horse or something. And I always have that horse comes with a groom and riding instructor. 
you want to be sure that they can use your gift very well and it's not going to get sick or anything because our horses get, get quite sick very easy. I'm thinking for some crane, sinking some unicorns, barging in and saying, yeah, well, you don't know how to feed. What you are going to feed them floral arrangements? <laughs> we had a, a party that... Amongst other things, we were we went all around the empire, and we did end up with some unicorn steeds because we'd done something nice for people. And we actually made a, po- a point of getting the emphasis on because it's back and forth ed, an emphasis in on the horse riding skill for unicorn horses specifically, so that we could say we have learned how to look after unicorn horses, and you know, there's, to make it make it make sense that we could then. So we we assumed that yeah, we'd done all that. We talked to the groom. We actually said no. We are going to listen to you and learn what needs to be done so that we can look after your gift properly. I have actually was surprised in the ruling from horseback to learn from Moto Rurame that caring for horses by even samurai also includes mucking out the stables. And if you're not aware what there is, that is, that is what the horse leaves when he's <laughs> in the stall. That is, and that is not just disgusting, that's a kind of a bit of a taboo from other um clans really that's that's the barakman's job yeah i actually didn't think that the samurai would do that even like your punishment is to supervise those people who do that you wouldn't be doing it yourself so i'm quite surprised they went there Another thing, just on that subject of doing things that no other person would do in that story, the shagai, the fortune telling, those are sheep's bones or goat bones they're holding with their hands. So uh, that is actually maybe even a very subtle way a unicorn character could do that. Like you're holding something from a dead body. An actual like, bone. That, that brings in that the unicorn, you know, do worship the lords of death. They're, they're, they're quite a different society. I did, we're kind of wrapping up on time, but I did want to take a moment because Melissa has another thing that she has done in the past. And I wanted to introduce it because it is very much related to the RPG. Uh, and that is Rokugan Go. Could you tell us what Rokugan Go is, Melissa? Uh, Rokugan Go is a mega game. And a mega game is when you have people from groups and those groups work together with other groups to basically fulfill goals, have wars with each other. We took that to have the great clans as well as other various things like magistrates, uh, the Shadowlands, the minor clans, and uh, basically said, look, this is your Rokugan, this is your story, we're going to throw a plot at you and we see what happens. And Korva was actually uh, GM for the playtest. Yeah. And he saw the utter <laughs> insanity that happened we we didn't go quite the same way as it did in the original second day of thunder no not that way at all so this is like a live action role playing game but you're instead of playing just individual characters you you do you do play individual characters it's just that someone's playing um Hida Kisada and someone else is playing and someone else is playing Hotaru and someone else is playing Yoritomo so yeah so so you kind of play the leaders and the the swingers and yeah the, the kind of makers and shakers and then the game goes across years that and kind you have of stuff, wars yeah. and stuff i mean so there's a war table and so you you, know, you see your units on the table and you can you have to send one of your people one of your team to go to the war table to make war table kind of yeah you know, i'm going to move this unit from here to here this unit from here to here Oh, these two units have ended up in the same place. They hate each other. Let's roll for who, see who dies. And you need to send someone to another, the other person's table, the other group's table. So if you want the crab, if you're in the crab clan and you want to talk to the crane clan, 
you've got to send someone to the Crane Clan table, and so and they will then have discussions, and you can say okay, we'll promise to do this if you promise to do this other thing. And you can decide whether or not you actually do that thing or whatever. And then you can, there, there's votes because you, you have winter courts. So you have, get everyone gets together and you can vote on stuff. And then you can say, well, I'll give you some rice points if you vote for us on this particular measure, this particular law that's coming through. And all sorts okay. of stuff like that. The Rocket Game Go playtest, which is run over Discord over quite a, a longer period, this would normally be run like, like during a con for like a day so you'd spend the whole day doing this thing with, uh-huh. the, with your folks uh we ended up with 100 percent player of the game was yoritomo oh yes he is a big damn hero <laughs> uh and the best thing because one of one of the shadowlands characters has the ability everyone gets weird abilities that they can do and one of the shadowlands was i can kidnap any one person and and bring them over to our table and we talk to them and they kidnap yoritomo and he and the just the conversation between them and the Shadowlands going, Ah, oh, we will rule everything, join us or we will kill you And he was just oh my god, just taking the Mickey. And getting drunk. Very drunk. <laughs> Not as drunk as I think he was pretending to be. <laughs> but still. It was Can I imagine amazing. he was another Aussie as well, which I think is relevant. <laughs> we wanted him for the main game and uh, couldn't get him down, but I'll, I'll see if I can contact him again. Uh, Tatori ended up trusting Yoritomo, who ended up with the title of Shogun of Storms. Oh, yes. Uh, Tatori turned to the dark side, which was astounding. And that was amazing. But he got, a, he got an awesome redemption arc. Yeah, sort of. Yeah. He ended up leaping into hell, sword swinging, metal track in the background. So let's say I have a new convention coming up and I have a room and this sounds sort of intriguing to do as opposed to a regular L5R LARP, which is uh, usually set in like one winter court or uh, you know, one particular scene, a wedding or other a party. Most LARPs for L5R are are set like that as opposed to this years spanning spanning the whole um, map uh, you know, years and map spanning kind of uh, LARP slash war game uh, if I wanted to do that how would I go about trying to figure out how to set something up like that uh, quite a number of people really especially the GMs you would need I'd say four to five GMs at a minimum to uh, run this and then you mm-hmm. need the players to fill up the teams most of the teams are four some are five that includes the phoenix by the way which has one person playing the entire elemental council we don't want the phoenix to be nine people but um we are also going to be making the rule book and all the other things available for (laughs) free because firstly because we can't sell it it's a copyrighted product but um we'd like to have this available to maybe interest um things on an official level i've actually spoken to one of the writers about this thing uh, spooky denton he was quite interested when we showed him the kaito family mon which doesn't exist yet and and we needed it for the game because um we have all the the mons you need like one room or two two rooms it varies um you would need to have some way to separate the shadowlands from the rest of the players if you are going to include that team and the gms do need a room basically for um them to meet during the game and discuss things, put up post-it notes, and to store the props because yeah. um, we tried we 
the plan was, still is actually, to have like the black scrolls, things, and various artifacts. Those need to be kept out of players' hands until they come in. The communication uh, is um, like you need to be able to put up a post-it note saying Yoritomo did this so all the GMs can actually in the head GM say, oh, what's happening in this game? Or this, this, I'll pick this up and we'll see what we can throw at it. <sighs> Though I've given the fact we haven't run it live and the playtest was on Discord where we did not have a problem with communication. Um, I would have to assess that a bit better uh, after that. But um, if you go to Google Mega Games, there are other games that we base this off, particularly Sengoku Go, which is a straight a Japanese one. I found it a little bit dry, to be honest. Harkon X, he's on Discord as well. Um, we just looked at this Japanese one. Not enough magic. Yeah, we could make this a lot more fun. The clans I found in Sengoku Go, they were a bit samey. Yeah, you've got Oda, you've got um, Tokugawa, but... You can make it a bit more fun. Watch the skies, which is another one. And there are actual recordings of these games online that on yes. YouTube that you can watch and you can see what it's really like. All right. Well, that sounds good. It, 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 was, it was really good fun. I would love to do it live. Well, I think we're at our time for this broadcast. Um, thank you so much, Melissa, for joining us today. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been a lot of fun. I wish we could go on a bit. We probably could. <laughs> <laughs> we should probably go on forever. At least until our next time. Thank you very much for joining us. Again, thank you to Melissa Marsh, our guest. This was Kikita Kaori, and have a wonderful week. May the fortunes favor you. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. <laughs> <laughs>